0: Bad time to get a drink. <laughs> what up? Welcome. I did all that already. You know me. My name is Brennan. Da, da, da. We can move on. All right. So, we are in the last week of our series, I Am. We've been on this journey for five weeks. And tonight, we'll be in John chapter 8, looking at Jesus saying the statement, I am the light of the world. And here's why I'm excited about this one there are seven statements in the book of John. All of them, they go something like, I am blank. But this one, it's different than all the rest and that gets me excited. But first I gotta ask you this question, have you ever inherited something? Has someone ever given you something? Inherited, maybe it was a family member, like a relative, a friend, like inherited something. Have you ever had like that old distant uncle that you never met but was a millionaire and died and all of a sudden you're a millionaire? Anybody? No, that only happens in movies, I swear. But there's like, have you ever inherited something someone gave you? I feel like as a young adult, what am I now? Five? Six? Six years removed from college? Most of what I own is still stuff other people gave me. Like for example, furniture. Raise your hand if in here if something in your apartment or house right now, someone else gave you. Right? 99.9% of young people, it's a hand-me-down right to own someone else's furniture. You've got your second aunt's table in your dining room and your parents' old, dusty, broken couch in your living room. Like, that, that, that's part of what it is to, to be a young person is we inherit these things. But we don't just inherit physical things. Sometimes we inherit characteristics. One of my favorite activities to do with a premarital couple, so someone who's hoping to get married and I'm like, yes, you can do it, I'm championing them, like encouraging them. And in this premarital counseling, one of the things I do is we do a parent assessment which is a little bit scary, but it goes like this. The first thing I ask is, I say, what are things you love about your parents? And they go, oh, my parents are so fun, and they're funny, and they, they love adventure, and they're good cooks, and they're great listeners, and they love me, and so they, they list off, it comes really easy, for most people. They list off a huge list of all the things that they love about their parents. And then I flip the script on them. And I say, what are some things you don't love about your parents? And it gets a little awkward, and they're like, oh, can I do this, are they listening, right? Like, and they say, oh, well, my mom, she's, she's kind of judgmental and my daddy's a little bit controlling and uh, they're kind of selfish sometimes and they're really overcommitted. I don't see them that much. Or There's these things that come out that are flaws in their parents. And after they do that, we, we have these two lists. And what I tell them is I hit them with this old classic saying, well, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And that sounds shocking, but in almost every case, what happens is that's true that they have inherited things from their parents, the good things that they love about their parents, chances are they have some of those. Their mom was kind, so they're kind. Their dad's energetic, so they're energetic. They have inherited those qualities. But the bad things that they see in their parents, chances are they haven't dodged all of those. And so we talk about it. And I encourage them to be really, really intentional to move that apple, right? To get that bad stuff and move it out of their life and start to work and, and foster the good. But all of this stems from, they have inherited things, whether it's physical things or personality traits, we inherit things from others. And I wanna add something to your list tonight. Tonight, we're gonna look at the statement Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And in doing that, he describes a characteristic about himself. But this isn't just a characteristic about Jesus. It's also one he gives to us. I told you it's unlike any of the other seven statements that Jesus makes in the book of John. For example, we started and he said, I am the gate, which he taught us that through him we enter life. And when Jesus said, I am the gate, he didn't turn around and say, you are the gate. He he is the gate, right? He, He was the gate, he is the gate, he will be the gate forever. Jesus is the fulfillment of the gate. We can keep going and we can talk about how Jesus talked about how he's the good shepherd. That's who he is, not us. He talks about how Jesus is the vine. In that, he calls us the branches, not the vine. We talked about how Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. We didn't talk about how Jesus said he's the resurrection or how he's the bread of life. In all of those, Jesus has claimed those, not us. Light is different. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And he has given us, gifted us, and helped us to inherit this characteristic. John 9, verse 5, Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But the problem is, Jesus physically left the world. It's actually good news. He no longer stands and walks among us. Instead, when he rose from the grave, he now sits at the right hand of the Father. And because of that, he can say something like Matthew 5.14. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. What he has, he gave to us. As Christians, we have inherited Jesus' light. We now have the light of the world. It's different than anything else we've talked about. This characteristic Jesus had, we inherited. And it's really important because when it comes to inheriting something, you now need to learn how to embody that. We need to learn how to live as the light of the world. And partially that's important because we live in a dark place. A couple of weeks ago, I was watching this TV show, and these two actors, they started debating about if this world is good or not. And one of the people, he he started saying, he was like, we live in the best time in human history. I I laughed. I was like, this guy's tripping, right? But he started to go through. He said, think about all the comfort you have, the luxury, the access, the education, the medicine. He was going off. He's like, think about this. Nobody else has had these things. And so I started to think about it. And I started to think about, of all things, Kraft thick and creamy mac and cheese. Yeah, can I put you on for a second, right? Throw out the old Kraft. The new Kraft is here, thick and creamy. You can get it at Walmart. And I will walk in, and for a dollar... I can buy this mac and cheese. People in past days had to go to a field, harvest some wheat, maybe? I don't know. I don't know what noodles are made of. They harvest some wheat, they go out, they milk a cow. They somehow turn that into cheese, and that's how they make mac and cheese. I wouldn't make it in that era. I need Walmart. I do. I would die and not survive. My wife, we are both goners in this new era if we had to make our own mac and cheese. But thankfully, I've got craft. We live in a beautiful time. But at the same time, on the flip side of that, is there's still darkness in our world. From the global scale of genocides and terrorism to the brokenness inside every single human heart, there's still brokenness here. There's still darkness in the world we live in. Unfortunately, every single person I can say with confidence in this room has experienced that darkness. The brokenness of the world we now live in, where peace feels unattainable both, both globally and personally, where joy feels like a Hallmark Christmas slogan rather than a lived experience where generosity and kindness are shocking and weird because we live in a dark place. There's still darkness here. Yet Jesus says he is the light of the world. And when he rose from the grave, he defeated death and he defeated evil and he defeated darkness, but he didn't wipe it all out. Right now he sits at the right hand of the Father, and so in the meantime, he has sent us to be the light of the world. And don't get it confused, Jesus is one day coming back. He will return to this earth and he will get rid of of darkness and evil and wrong for all of eternity, once and for all. It will be no more. That's part of the good news of Jesus. But right now, in our day, in our time, we live in this middle point between Jesus' ascension and his second coming. And right now, we are the light of the world. We reflect the light that Jesus has given us So we need to learn how to embody the light we have inherited. How do we embody it? How do we carry it? How do we learn about it? How do we live in it? How do we shine bright in a dark world? To do that, we're going to flip over to John 8. And as you flip there, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you tonight that you are the light of the world through your son, Jesus. Thank you that he has gifted that to us. And I now pray as we go through your word, we would learn how to carry it. I pray that by your spirit, in your blood, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. John chapter eight, starting in verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus declares he is the light of the world. In this declaration, it sent me on a journey over the last couple of weeks. Because what I, what I started to try to do was understand every single time that the word light shows up in the Bible. Across the Old and the New Testament, the word light shows up about 200 times. Felt a little bit lost, a little bit overwhelmed, but what, I, what God started to have me do is he started to have me summarize those 200 to the best that I could into three categories. And in this way, we would see the three things that light does in the scriptures, and we would see the three things that Jesus does as the light, and we would learn the three things we can do as the light. So the first one is this. The three things light does in the scriptures. First, light provides safety and warmth. Growing up, were you ever afraid of the dark? Yeah, right? Like, Let's be honest for a second. You don't have to be macho or tough or prideful. Like, The dark is kind of, kind of terrifying. It's a little bit scary. I for sure was, and still a little bit am, right? When you're in the basement and you flick the lights off and you gotta go up the stairs, don't play with me. I know that's still scary. There's this fear in us that that fears the dark. The USA Today, they say 75% of children and 11% of adults are still crippled by this fear called nyctophobia, fear of the dark. It is one of the most commonly experienced fears among people, but I sit back and I wonder, why? It's experienced by us, so it's just accepted by us. But why? You're, You're not scared of a chair. Right, can you imagine everybody in here is just terrified of chairs? What a, what a horrible world. You're not scared of a watermelon, right? We would think that's crazy. But because we all experience this fear of the dark, we just normalize it. It's like, yeah, everybody everybody's scared of the dark. Why is that? And we can rationalize it away with a logical explanation. Well, like, well, it's because it's dark and it's harder to see, and so I, I just get a little scared. Or one thing I read, they said, well, it's because at nighttime when it's dark, people are more tired and that makes them more apt to fear. I was like, okay, sure, right? Whatever, I got it. But when we do that, I think we brush away what is an ingrained spiritual truth. That there's something in us that we can recognize that links itself to the fear of the dark. When you've ever walked through a big dark parking lot like Southeast, yeah, you feel that, right? You're walking through and they got the blue lights but it's still scary, right? And you're walking through that parking lot, why are you scared? Scared of the cars? I don't think so. Are you scared of, of the, the blue lights or of the parking lot lines or the asphalt? No, I don't think so. Are you scared of the trash? The bush box got you shaken, right? <laughs> what scares you as you walk through the parking lot? Are you scared to be alone? I don't think so, I don't think so. What I think is not that we're afraid to be alone, but I think we're afraid that we're not alone. As you walk through that lot, you fear not the fact that you are walking by yourself, but the fact that someone else might be in that parking lot looking to do you harm. I think that's the fear. And that starts to allude to what we really feel in the dark. Because the darkness itself is not scary. It's, that the fa- it's the fact that darkness lends itself to evil. Evil finds its presence and in it, in its likeness and in its, in its purpose in darkness. Why are we so scared of the dark? I believe it's because God's kingdom is a kingdom of light, whereas evil is a kingdom of darkness. The scripture talks about this over and over again. Paul in Ephesians 5, he contrasts the two. He says, for you were once darkness... But you are now light in the Lord. And when he does this, he, he distinguishes between darkness and light, God or evil and God. He, he has separated the two. Peter does it again in 1 Peter 2. He says, you are a chosen people that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into the light. There's this change. 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And on and on and on it goes. I could pull you 50 verses from the text that lay out this idea that darkness is associated with evil and light is associated with God and his goodness. And so maybe this ingrained spiritual truth I want us to learn tonight is that the fear we had as children maybe isn't this unrational experience, but rather is a spiritual truth inside of us. Because do you recognize your divine purpose, the reason we are here is to be in relationship with God? And God is light. And so in Genesis, when they walked with God tangibly in the garden, they walked in the presence of God who was light. Yet when sin entered the world, that broke. And there was this distance created between God's light and us as humanity, and we still experience that distance in the the realm of darkness. And so in the darkness, We find ourselves, there's something in us that rebels against it, that pushes back against it, that fights against the darkness because you were never meant to experience it or walk in it. The darkness of evil is broken. It's why Jesus in John three tells us, come into the light. If I can rephrase it for you saying it another way, Jesus has come to me because I am the light. As the light, Jesus provides safety and warmth. In him, we are protected from the evil, restored back to our original purpose of being with God. When we walk in relationship to Jesus, we are with God, experiencing his light. And when we experience the fullness and the fulfillment of Jesus, we don't have to worry about experiencing the darkness or the the, the bad of darkness. We have Jesus as the light. Let me take you even back to your childhood for a second. When you were in your room and you had that fear of the dark, What brought you peace? What brought you peace in the midst of the darkness? For some of you, I wanna guess it was a nightlight. This tiny little thing that plugged into the wall and for some reason, it gave you peace. I wanna tell you when light shows up in darkness, it provides safety and warmth. To talk about warmth, I think about bonfires. Anybody love a good bonfire? Yes. Bugs? No. Smoke? No. Bonfire? Yes. (laughs) I love it. A year ago, I built a bonfire in our backyard, and over this last summer, I had countless bonfires with people. And every single time, I'd sit there, and I could feel the warmth on my face as I stared at the lights, as the flames danced around, right? It's just mesmerizing. And as I felt the warmth physically, I also experienced the warmth relationally. Because that's what light does, As we sat around that fire, yes, everybody could feel the warmth on their legs and on their hands and through the s'more, right? But at the same time, you felt the warmth relationally. As you sat around the fire and as you drew towards one core thing, one common thing, you were drawn together as people. Some of my best, like most incredible memories with incredible people were around bonfires as we experienced the warmth and the safety it provided. That's Jesus. Jesus the one who calms you and gives you peace in the midst of your situation. That's Jesus, the one who connects you to him and to others when you feel lonely and disconnected. He helps you when life gets hard. He uplifts you when you're struggling. This is Jesus. It's who he is. In a world that is so often associated with darkness and it is fear-ridden and cold, Jesus brings warmth and safety. He is the light of the world. But now so are we. So as the light, we must provide safety and warmth to people. It's one of the things I honestly love the most about Oasis. People ask me, why'd you call it Oasis? It's like, well, hold up. I wasn't here in 2005 when they named it, and I probably went to picked Oasis. But I love it now, right? I love it, because I love the idea it embodies that here is a place where you can hopefully, hopefully feel safe. If you don't, talk to me. But I hope you feel safe here. That in a world that is often overrun with darkness and evil and brokenness. I hope you can step in here and it can be an oasis for you. I also love the relational connection it brings. That in a group of people like this, there is hundreds of pockets of other people who connect and and, and join together If you feel like you're outside the pocket and you want to experience the warmth of this community, talk to us. We would love to plug you in. But that's why I love Oasis, because we are living in our calling of providing light that is safe and warm, but we can't just do this organizationally. We must do it personally. So here's the question I ask you. How are you extending safety and warmth to people? How are you personally, as you sit here and as you walk through your life, how are you extending safety and warmth to people? What does your Thursday, Friday, Saturday night look like? Don't say it out loud. Some of you, I don't want to know. (laughs) What does that look like? Does it look like you are inviting people into safety and warmth? What does Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons look like? When you sit maybe around a coffee table or a dining room table where you play board games or video games or, or you're at class or work, does it look like you extend safety and warmth to people? When it comes to your disposition, what others would say about you when they interact with you, are you kind and gentle and joyful and loving and peaceful? Extending, spreading out the warmth and light of Jesus. The second thing light does in the scriptures is to light casts out darkness. Oh man, I forgot my, anyway, so you'll see in a second. I got any science people in here? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. People are like, this is church. Can I like science? Yes. Come on. Right? Any science people? There. All right. I'll take the three of you. I am not. I'm not a science person. I found it very, very boring growing up. So sorry. Um, But in the midst of it, I remember this one lesson from eighth grade science class, and it was about the second law of thermodynamics. Yeah. And I don't remember that's what it calls, but Google did. So shout out Google. But I remember how it went down. The teacher, he stood up in front of the classroom, and this is where I was supposed to have a block of ice, which I forgot in the freezer over in the kitchen. But he had this block of ice, and he passed it to us. And as we traded it from one grimy middle school hand to the next, the, 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 the ice gave most people a certain reaction. They went, ooh, it's cold, right? The ice makes my hand cold. And that's where he stopped us, he said, actually, I don't know if you know but the second law of thermodynamics is about heat transfers and it says really what's happening is your hand is making the ice warm and we were like no and so he went on to explain to us in all these other ways about how really nothing really cools most stuff heats right even when you were touching that ice cube what was happening is the heat was leaving your hand and going into the ice and so your hand was feeling this cold sensation because heat was leaving it the second law of thermodynamics right I taught you something tonight but in that he corrected us and he said, this is what actually happens. And he started to teach us that the reason that happens is light is the power source. It is, it is the overpowering source. It is the, the strong one over, or I mean the heat is the strong one over cold. So that's why heat moves. And I love that analogy that now connects to light. That light is the powerful force. Light is the dominant force. Light is the strong one. This is what happens when light overtakes darkness when light casts out darkness that in a moment like this with a room full of light for darkness to come in here we must remove the light and in a room of darkness do you know what just happened we removed the light the darkness did not force its way in here it had no power to do so the darkness was not able to overthrow or overcome the light to get in here. For, uh, for, for darkness to come in here, we had to remove the light. And just as easily, we can bring the light back. And what happened there is darkness had to leave. It didn't have a choice. We chose by the power of light to overcome darkness, to cast out darkness. Light is the powerful force. 1 John Our John 1, 5 says it like this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. As the light, Jesus shines in the darkness and it has no power over him. As the light, Jesus shines in the darkness and it has no power. When he shows up, darkness flees. Jesus is the dominant force. He is the powerful one. The light is casting out the darkness always and forever. The two never coexist Light and darkness, they don't intermingle. It's why in John 8, Jesus said, Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. To follow Jesus as the light means we can't walk in darkness. His very presence in our life casts out sin. But let me clarify this doesn't mean you won't ever sin. We live in a broken world with darkness where there's temptation and where we're fallen human beings. And so praise God for his redemptive grace that has saved us. Thank you for his spirit, which empowers us to live in a new way, but we still struggle. Sometimes we still sin. And when we do, I encourage you, confess, repent, turn back to God and live in his light. What Jesus is talking about here is not the random mistake we make. Jesus is calling out the pattern of our lives. He says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. To walk in darkness is to consistently, openly, and unashamedly choose to live in sin. If that describes you, you aren't following Jesus. As the light, we don't live in sin. If you consistently live in sin meaning you know God has outlawed that for your own good and your thriving and your protection, but you choose it anyway, you aren't following Jesus. If you openly live in sin, meaning others have come to you and as your brothers and sisters in Christ, they said, hey, I don't think that's God's best for you, but you don't listen to them and you repeatedly go back to this thing, openly choosing to sin, you aren't following Jesus. If you publicly and unashamedly choose sin. As you post the pictures on your Insta, as you celebrate it in front of others, as you brag and you boast, as you choose to welcome the kingdom of darkness, I'm telling you, you don't follow Jesus. Again, this isn't the random mistake, it's the pattern of our lives Jesus is hitting at. Is the pattern of your lives walking in light or in darkness? You can't be a Christian and get drunk all the time. You shouldn't be a Christian and get drunk ever. You can't be a Christian and gossip about your friends all the time. You shouldn't gossip ever. You can't be a Christian and constantly be comparing yourself to others and beating yourself up and lowering your self-esteem and and deciding you aren't worth it or valuable. That has gone against what God's best is for you. He has told you you are loved and cared for and created and known and that you belong. And so when we choose openly and unashamedly and consistently to live in a different way, we have chosen a way that is not light in Jesus. Light and darkness, they never coexist. Light casts out darkness. The third thing, and can I have Al? I think I left my phone on the ground. Will you bring that up to me? Uh, Also, we got home last week and she goes, you called me Al in front of everybody. Her name is Allison, but I call her Allie, which is now Al. So Yeah, thanks. She's like people probably think that's weird that she called her Al, but that's okay. The third thing light does in the in the scriptures is light shows the way. Do you remember a time where phones didn't have flashlights? How did people do it? <laughs> like literally, I don't understand how I use my phone flashlight constantly. Like, sometimes I use it so much, it likes to be on when it's in my pocket. Like, I drop my, my keys under the car seat, and I'm like, out there with my phone. Right? I try to get a pair of socks that I forgot when I was getting dressed, but my wife's still sleeping. And so I sneak in with my phone. I, I walk into a room, and I'm too lazy to flip on the lights, but i got to grab something. Phone flashlight. Do you remember a time where this wasn't a thing? I, I, I can't even believe that. But that's the beauty of light. That light shows the way. Without light we would never know how to get where we're going and we'd never know what to f- we'd never be able to find what we're looking for. As the light Jesus shows us the way. Without him we'd never find what we're looking for. What are you looking for? What are you searching for? If you were honest for a second, how do you answer that question, what are you searching for? Are you trying to find purpose? trying to figure out why you live in this world, why do you exist, why did God create you? What are you supposed to do with these gifts, these talents, this energy? What are you supposed to do with your day? Are you trying to find purpose? What about identity? I'm trying to know, who am I? Beyond what everybody else says about me, beyond what I'm able to give to other people, who am I? Are you searching for peace or joy? When life feels like it's constantly giving you this, you just want something consistent? Are you searching for community and connection because you feel alone and lost? Are you trying to remember that you are loved and cared for? Jesus shows you the way. He's the light. My second question is this. Where are you trying to go? Where are you trying to go? What is your whole life building towards? Why do you have the job? Why did you go to school? Why do you have those friends? Why do you make the decisions that you do? Where are you headed it's a big question tonight, but I, I think we need to wrestle with it. And as we do, I want to remind you of a story that hits me. It's, it's the Israelites when they were fleeing Egypt in Exodus. Because what happens is they flee Egypt, and they find themselves in the wilderness. Because the problem was they, they left Egypt knowing where they wanted to go, which was the Promised Land. But they didn't know how to get there in between. They, they leave this place, and they're headed in a certain direction, but they don't know in the middle how to get there. And so they wander. They wander through the wilderness and that hits me as a young adult. Does it hit you? That you've left your parents and you've left your hometown and you've left your community and you've left school and you're out in the world and you're working and you're trying to adult and you're trying to survive and you feel like all of a sudden you feel like you're in the midst of the wilderness. And you know on the horizon, there's a place you would like to go. But right now, where you're at, it feels a little like you're lost. Jesus shows us the way. He is the light. As the light, we also have to show others the way. We need to point people to Jesus. The world needs Jesus and the grace he offers. So think about a person right now who in your life doesn't know Jesus? Family member, friend, coworker, neighbor, classmate, professor. You got their face, you got their name? Do you have a person? Think about a person right now in your life that doesn't know Jesus. What would it look like for you to shine the light for them? Do they know who Jesus is? that he is the son of God? Do they know what he did? That as the perfect Messiah, he died a sinner's death so that he could rise from the grave. Do they know those things? Maybe you start there. Share the gospel with them. Maybe they do know those things, but they need to be reminded by you because God has uniquely placed you there. Maybe they're wrestling with other things and God has sent you there to be the light to that person. For that person, your are Thinking about right now, what does it look like for you to be the light? Tonight, Jesus is the light. Yet ultimately, he has helped us to inherit that. He is empowering us to walk in it. And so we get to carry the light forth in the world. We get to provide people safety and warmth. We get to, provide, we get to cast out and push back against darkness. We get to show others the way because that's what Jesus did what he did, he's what he's called us to do. And so one last time, I wanna take you back to John chapter eight, verse 12. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I love the possessive language there. You have it. Christians in the room tonight, you have the light of life, the light of the world. What does it look like for you to carry it? What does it look like for you to walk with it? because we must carry the light of Jesus forward into the dark world. And here's how it looks sometimes. That sometimes it just needs to start with one. One person in your classroom, one person in your family, one person in your workplace, one person at your dorm, one person in in your room situation. And when one person shows up, they start to invite others into safety and warmth and it multiplies. And as we invite people into safety and warmth, more people catch it. And as more people catch it, right, we go and we cast out darkness and more people catch it. Has anybody in here caught the light? And as more people catch it and they experience the light of Jesus, we go out and we tell more people about it. We tell more people about the light of Jesus and we invite them in. You guys have the light? Show me the light. Show me what you've got for the light. Because here's the thing what starts with one catches to many. What starts with one catches to many. What started with Jesus has been passed to us and it's our job to carry it into a dark world. And so look around for a second. Look at the power of light in the darkness. Look at the power you hold to bring change to our world. That's my prayer. This is my prayer for us, that we bring light to the darkness. Let me pray.